my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 295. I hope you're doing well. Got a fun episode today. We're going to talk about Tua Tungavaloa being named the starting quarterback in Miami. We'll talk about uh, the Packers' surprise loss to the Buccaneers. We'll talk about the Steelers beating the Browns, really blowing out the Cleveland Browns. We'll talk about both Monday Night Football games. That's the Cardinals-Cowboys game. Chiefs Bills will talk about the Giants and the Washington football team. And we'll end the show by talking about Alabama and Georgia and what happened on Saturday with them. I want to start today with this, though, because whenever a story comes out that really, really excites me where I go, oh, man, I can't wait to write about that and to talk about that and to think about that. I know I should lead the show with that. So in case you haven't heard. The Miami Dolphins have announced that their new starting quarterback moving forward is going to be Tua Tungvaloa. And I am so stinking excited about this. Uh, a lot of people, I believe, were surprised when they heard the news because, you know, the Dolphins are 3-3. Three and three. They have their three losses are, by the way, to, you know, probably playoff teams, the Bills, the Patriots, and Seattle. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, their starting quarterback, is in the top half of the league statistically. He's playing very, very well. I mean, I watched the... 49ers-Dolphins game, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the best quarterback playing in that game. So a lot of people are like, well, why make the change now? Here is why I love this move. Because the Dolphins are not playing badly. They're not desperate. Their current quarterback is playing fine. This could only mean that Tua Tungvaloa has earned it. And I, it's very rare you see an NFL team take their time, be patient, And the Dolphins here have shown a lot of self-restraint and, again, been very patient. And that has all paid off because I I think Tua is healthy. I think he's ready to go. He's had time to learn the system. I feel very good about him. And he he came in the game on Sunday against the Jets and was two for two passing. Looked, I mean, he had like three plays. It's not very much to go on. But I felt good about what I saw. And the Dolphins must feel very, very good to put in a young rookie quarterback when they're playing well. And their quarterback is playing well. And I'm not even going to try to hide it. Tua Tungvaloa is my favorite player in the NFL. I love the guy. I love the person. I love his story. And the Dolphins have a bye week coming up. So it actually gives Tua two weeks to prepare for the next game. Uh, they're playing the Rams at home week eight, I guess, because week seven's coming up. Week eight, two weeks from now. I love it, man. I have no doubt he's ready. I am so glad the Dolphins were patient here. They took their time. Nobody was in a hurry at all. And uh, I just love Tua, man. I want to so badly see him do well. And I, there's not a lot to say here other than because of the situation around Miami and with Tua, they must be saying Tua's doing great in practice. We believe in him. He's our best quarterback. And uh, I just, I know I've beat this, you know, to death here, but I want to say I am so, so glad they were patient. You almost never see that in today's NFL where a team really allows their quarterback to take time to sit. They're not in a hurry. And uh, I think here we're seeing it. Miami Dolphins franchise really take their time and do it right. And uh, I, I just love Tua so much. I'm excited for his future. And I want to see him do very, very well moving forward. I'm telling you, I am going to, two weeks from now, we got a while. It's going to be a long wait until we actually see Tua play in an NFL game. But I, uh, against the Rams, against Aaron Donald, that's a little bit interesting to me. He's a very good defensive lineman, but I, uh, Cannot wait to watch Tua two weeks from now at home in Miami against the L.A. Rams. 
All right. I want to shift gears now to a loss that I think a lot of people were very, very surprised by. In case you don't know, on Sunday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Green Bay Packers 38-10. to And uh, there's a lot of reasons that this game went sideways for the Packers. First, I want to point out that by far, this is the best game that Tampa Bay has played all year. When they lost to the Bears on a Thursday night game week five, I said that Tampa after that game was not disciplined enough, or at least did not look disciplined enough in that game to win a Super Bowl. Like Not at all. Not even nearly at all. Because penalties have been a huge problem all year for the Buccaneers. Now on Sunday, Tampa suddenly, bam, they looked like a Super Bowl team. What's the big difference there? Well, they didn't have a single penalty the entire game. They had one moment where Adamakin Sue was called for a penalty at the end of the first half. It was actually on the same play that the Packers were called for penalties, so they were offsetting penalties. But technically, there was not a single penalty called against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the entire game. And that is such a big amount of progress for a team that's really, really struggled with discipline all year. And it feels like Tampa must have gotten their act together to some degree. So we learned what the Buccaneers are capable of on a really good day. Tom Brady was fairly good. He had two touchdowns. He had an incredible start to the game. Tom Brady started like 15 for 17 passing. Like really, really efficient, good game to start off. Gronk was awesome. Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski looked like the connection they had in New, uh, New England. They looked really, really good together. This is the first game I've watched Gronk and gone, ah, there he is. Gronk is back. And uh, dude had five catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Now, the Packers made oh, a number of mistakes, uh, and that really made the game go from, I think what would have been a Packers loss became a Packers blowout because of the mistakes the Packers made down the stretch. It should not be forgotten, though, at the end of the first quarter in this game, the Packers were dominating. They were up 10 to nothing, and don't forget, I guess, my point that the Packers were in this game at a point in the, for a moment. Now, in the second quarter... The Buccaneers went off. They had 28 unanswered points. Uh, they went on to win 38-10. to 10. So what happened here? Why did things change? And Aaron Rodgers threw back-to-back interceptions. That's what really blew this game wide open. That led to the Buccaneers' two touchdowns early on. One was a pick six. Another gave the Buccaneers the ball at the two-yard line. And after those two interceptions, Aaron Rodgers just could not recover. And I almost wondered because Aaron Rodgers... Very much, very much takes pride in not throwing interceptions. He's known as the guy, wow, Aaron almost never throws a pick. And I wondered at a, for a moment if the guy felt maybe embarrassed or what was going on. Now, A-Rod kept fighting. He had a, I think a third and 18 he converted where he stepped up in the pocket, was moving around. A- there, was no, there was no point where Aaron Rodgers was so embarrassed he wanted to get out of the building. But he also made a number of mistakes that you just do not see Aaron Rodgers make. I mean, he had... He really should have had three interceptions. Antoine Winfield Jr. dropped a pick in his hands. That was costly. He, there was a play where A-Rod just missed Mercedes Lewis wide open over the middle. I've never seen Aaron miss a throw like that. I went, what, what's going on here? It's very, very weird. Uh, he even lost track of the play clock at one point, And Aaron took a delay of game penalty. My point is that Aaron Rodgers was off. Now, it's also worth noting that on both interceptions he threw— he was throwing the ball to Devontae Adams, who was coming back from an injury. It's Devontae Adams' first game after 
uh, not playing for a while because of an injury. And he looked off, too. He had a, a moment where along the sideline, it appeared like Devontae Adams had no idea where he was. His foot was off. He stepped out of bounds. And you're like, okay, I think the guy just needs reps to get back into the swing of things. And um, I'll be honest, I want to see a rematch between these two football teams because if we could get Packers-Buccaneers in the playoffs moving forward, I feel like we're going to get a much better game. Because in this game on Sunday, the Buccaneers played their absolute very best game. They hit their ceiling. And Green Bay seems to have hit their floor. They played their absolute worst. And so this was a rare occasion, in my opinion, where we saw... Buccaneers maxing out. Packers terrible. You also have to remember that the Packers lost their left tackle, David Bakhtiari, mid-game due to an injury. And I guess we learned what the Buccaneers are capable of on their best day. But I doubt we're going to see another game for the Packers this bad all year. This was their worst performance in a long, long time. I can't remember the last time I saw Aaron Rodgers throw two interceptions, let alone three interception-worthy throws. Uh, he lost track of the clock. He missed a guy wide open. I just, I've never seen Aaron Rodgers play that way in my entire life. And uh, he just was off. And I think the interceptions rattled him. But you're never going to see that again from Aaron Rodgers or the Packers, not for a long, long time. And I also think it's worth pointing out that while Tom Brady may be the star of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the key to their team is their defense. Tom Brady won for so long in New England because he had good weapons around him, had a lot of good help, good structure. And a great defense. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers need a great defense. They had one on Sunday. That's got to continue if Tampa Bay wants to win a Super Bowl. Remember, the Super Bowl is at home this year. And so we could get, I think, a really fun, interesting Super Bowl would be Tampa Bay, Tom Brady versus the Patrick Mahomes-led Kansas City Chiefs. I think it would be really interesting. But in order for that to happen, remember, the key to Tampa Bay, it's not Tom Brady. It's their defense. Their defense needs to play very, very well, and they have to avoid costly, embarrassing, bad penalties. If they play clean and their defense plays good, the Buccaneers are a team to watch out for for a long way down the stretch this year. Now, I want to touch base on another game real quick. On Sunday, the Pittsburgh Steelers really smacked around the Cleveland Browns 38-7. to And look, the Steelers dominated in this game, both on offense and on defense. James Conner had over 100 yards rushing for the Steelers. Uh, Pittsburgh had eight quarterback hits, also four sacks. And, man, I've been saying this for a while. The Steelers look like a playoff team, for sure. I really, really buy into the Steelers. A lot of people, I, I keep hearing, I'm getting messages from Steeler fans going, we're not sure, and, you know, definitely the media is going, ah, let's wait and see. I'm in. I I am sold on the Steelers. They play great defense. They run the ball well. Big Ben looks really, really good. They've got great receivers. I really, I'm all in on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe in them. And the shocking number here is that the Cleveland Browns, one of the best running games in the entire NFL. The, The Browns are known for, wow, they this year have been pounding the rock very, very well, running the ball incredibly. I'm not a stats guy. You know this. But the Browns were held to only 75 yards rushing in this game on Sunday. For me, I went, oh my gosh, that's, that's a big number. And not only did they run the ball well, the Steelers, but they also really dominated up front on defense. And their defense is great. They dominate. They disguise coverage very, very well. Big Ben looks very good. I am telling you, 
buy into Pittsburgh. They're a very, very good football team. And for one reason or another, people keep finding reasons to overlook the Steelers. I am telling you, the Steelers are a good football team. Do not, you know, don't overlook them. They can play. They can beat anybody, in my opinion. And I want to watch, I mean, I want to see the Steelers play an actual playoff team, a team like the the Ravens, Kansas City. I know they're going to play the Ravens twice coming up this year, and I, oh man, it's going to be a fun matchup. I'm really excited to watch that. That's what we learned, I guess, in my opinion, is just how good the Steelers are. Wow, they are dominant up front. Now, <sighs> Baker Mayfield, the Browns starting quarterback, started the game with an injury, and I want to be clear to mention he had an injury. You know, going into the game, Baker had messed up ribs, and then he got taken out of the game in the third quarter down, what was it, 31-7. to End of the third quarter, they put Case Keenum in at quarterback instead of Baker Mayfield. And I wanted to mention Baker's injury because I— I know that a lot of people are going to be saying, well, Baker was bad because his ribs were hurt and this and that, and we want to blame his poor play on the injury. Fair enough, right? Fine. But here's the reality, and you can, you can talk about the ribs all you want, but decision-making by Baker Mayfield has been very, very frustrating to watch because and I, I keep giving Baker opportunity after opportunity I keep saying he's in progress let's wait and see I, I I view myself as a very patient person I'm not the kind of person that goes yeah I, I try not to put the hammer down on people too quickly and the reality is that Baker Mayfield keeps making Philip Rivers level mistakes where you go dude that's just a terrible decision there's nothing there you're forcing it you're predetermining things or uh, there, there's a throw. You're just there's nothing open. It's third and long. You're forcing it because you want it, not because it's actually open or there. And Baker keeps making baffling and confusing mistakes throwing the football, and it's not going away. I keep waiting and waiting and waiting, and the problem just is not going away for Baker Mayfield. Now the Browns have a good offense. They have a ton of playmakers. They have a new head coach, Kevin Stefanski. I would even go as far as saying that. Right now, the Browns' offense is kind of like a high-performance sports car. And all Cleveland needs is somebody to sit in the driver's seat, drive the car down the road, and don't crash. Like, we don't need high performance from the quarterback. We just need a guy who can play clean football, take easy completions, be smart with the football. And I am getting really, really more and more afraid. The more I watch the Browns, I'm afraid that Baker Mayfield simply is incapable of playing good, clean, smart football. I'm developing very, very serious doubts. And Baker may be too injured to play on Sunday, meaning that Case Keenum might be the starting quarterback for the Browns this upcoming week. There's a chance that Baker Mayfield plays better. Excuse me, that there's a chance that Case Keenum, the backup quarterback, plays better than Baker Mayfield does. And that's not good. And I am getting so, so tired. I've been patient. I'm trying to be patient. I keep telling people he's in progress, it's fine, but I, I'm i starting to not trust my analysis, and that's not good at all. When I go, I, I just don't, I'm losing confidence in Baker Mayfield, and I, it's, it's him, it's Baker Mayfield's problem, it's decision making, it's his inability to play clean football that is going to make him lose his job if he's not careful. Case Keenum might come in and be better on Sunday, that's a huge problem. And I, I'm getting really tired of waiting for Baker Mayfield to figure things out. I know I'm probably not alone. I'm not a Browns fan. I am sure that Cleveland Browns fans are like, dude, Baker, we need you to figure this out because 
They got the pieces. They got the coach now. You're running out of reasons to have excuses for Baker Mayfield. And right now he's got the rib injury. But I... <sighs> Baker looks like a liability for the Cleveland Browns. And that's really, really... It's frustrating. It's disappointing. And I, I'm not a Browns fan. I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan. But at my whole life, the Browns have been really, really bad. And I feel like every single year I go, you know, maybe this is the year that horrible franchise in Cleveland, the little engine that could figures it out. And right now their quarterback is the problem. Baker Mayfield's holding them back. And Baker Mayfield's got to play better. He, there's just, you're running out of reasons to have excuses or reasons to give Baker Mayfield the benefit of the doubt. I'm losing patience. I know Browns fans are probably losing patience and, Today, Baker Mayfield's a problem in Cleveland. He's got to figure it out and got to find a way to play cleaner football. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Monday night games. That's the the Cardinals. Kyler Murray went home to Dallas. It was really fun. I guess home to Texas. Uh, we'll talk about the Chiefs and the Bills. Later down the road, we'll talk about the Giants beating Washington. And we'll end with, in case you're curious, we'll end with Alabama versus Georgia. A lot of fun stuff. Saturday was awesome. And uh, my name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I want to jump in. I want to talk about the games from Monday Night Football. We had two of them, which has been becoming increasingly more common because of COVID-19. So in case you don't know, the, the Arizona Cardinals beat the Dallas Cowboys 38 had 10 on Monday Night Football. And this was a loss that I thought was obvious and in the making for quite a long time. You know, well before Dak Prescott got hurt. Go watch my season prediction for the Arizona Cardinals. I've been talking about this game for a long, long time. And what's kind of sad is that the Cardinals didn't even play very well, and yet they still dominated this game. So first of all, Dallas had four turnovers, and... I don't know. Andy Dalton did not impress me very much. But even more of a concern is that Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott fumbled on back-to-back drives, giving really kind of handing the Cardinals two touchdown opportunities in a row. And people got crazy mad at me when I said that Ezekiel Elliott was overpaid. And unfortunately, recently, Ezekiel Elliott's been proving me very much right. Um, He has been paid a lot of money. The dude is not delivering. He keeps turning the ball over. He's got a fumbling problem very clearly this year. And uh, I just, I, I got no problem with Zeke, but he's got to play better. It's really getting uh, problematic for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, as I said a second ago, Andy Dalton did not impress me at all. It's one game I do suppose that Andy Dalton could get better as time goes on. He had two interceptions. He should have had three. There's a moment where early on in the game, Jordan Hicks dropped a ball thrown right at him. He just dropped an easy interception. So Andy had two picks, should have had three. He had a miss late in the game where he had Michael Gallup wide open down the right sideline late in the game. Should have been a touchdown, and he simply missed the throw. And I went, dude, Andy Dalton, what, what's going on? I mean, I, really, I had higher expectations for Andy Dalton, and he, he just did not deliver in my opinion. It was also kind of weird. There was a shot of him early in the game. Looked like the dude was playing while chewing gum. I've never seen that before. I, I guess I tried that at practice one time. It didn't work. Um, I, I just thought it was weird. I went, Andy, really? Gum? What's going on there? Um, and I think you can make an argument, and that the gum thing's silly. I don't care about that, really. But 
as I watched the game on Monday night, you can make a very strong argument that we saw the value of Dak Prescott get proven on Monday. Where, you know, it's worth noting, yeah, the, the Cowboys did have a ton of turnovers, even with Dak Prescott. But I've said all year, Dak is not nearly even close to the biggest problem the Cowboys have. You know, I think they need a safety, they need an interior defensive lineman, probably a D-tackle, I guess is what that's technically called. Um, that would really help Demarcus Lawrence, by the way. They need help in the running game. And I'm not a numbers guy. But here's a crazy number that kind of blows my mind as I talk about Dak Prescott. He's hurt. He's out for the rest of the year. And Dak Prescott did not play at all in the NFL's Week 6. And yet, despite being a game behind everybody else, Dak Prescott is still the NFL's leading passer. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. And it shows just how much... I, I, I think yards are a bit overstated to some degree. But the fact that Dak is still down a game, well, I guess down a game and yet still in the lead as the NFL's leading passer, that'll go away very quickly as the weeks go on. But it's wild to me, and it shows to some degree just how valuable he is. Dak Prescott, they have a game without him. They just fall apart. They get their butts kicked. They get embarrassed horribly. And again, the Cardinals didn't even play very well, and the Cardinals won the game walking away. So Kyler Murray, I said it before, I wasn't that impressed with Arizona in this game. You know, Kyler didn't even have 10 completions. The guy was 9 for 24 passing. Now, I guess saying that Arizona didn't play well is a bit weird because they had 261 yards rushing. Kenyon Drake went off. Then 261 yards rushing for a team that is supposed to have an air raid offense. That's wild. That's kind of crazy. And I, I guess that it's wrong to say the Cardinals weren't that good. But the Cardinals left a lot of mistakes on film. And I think if the Cardinals want to beat a better team down the road, a team like Seattle, a team like the Rams or the 49ers, they got to play better. They got to clean things up. And for example, where was DeAndre Hopkins on Monday? And I know that DeAndre Hopkins helps the offense, even if he's not catching the ball because he demands attention from the defense. But DeAndre Hopkins was basically a non-factor against the Cowboys. He had two catches for 73 yards. One of them was on, you know, he had one catch for 60 yards at the very end of the game that helped his numbers a lot. But I... The guy was targeted eight times at two catches, and I just repeatedly went, why is, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler were not on the same page in this game? And I walked away from this game feeling like, wow, the Dallas Cowboys are terrible, rather than feeling like, yeah, the Cardinals were just impressive and very, very good. So I felt like this was a game where we saw the Cowboys' problems on display. They looked terrible. They were a gigantic mess. Andy had four, you know, two interceptions. They had... Ezekiel Elliott had two fumbles. The Cowboys were a mess rather than, wow, the Cardinals were great. And I I maintain that the Cardinals are going to need to clean things up down the road if they want to beat a better football team uh, and not just beating teams like the Dallas Cowboys who are apparently just a gigantic, gigantic mess. Now, another game on Monday. On Monday night, the Chiefs beat the Bills 26-17. to and I don't have a ton, ton to say about this game. Um, I think that this is a game that will be easy to forget because it was a Monday night game. It was wet. It was sloppy. It was messy at times. And the story here that cannot be forgotten, as you look back on this game, you know, when the year is over and we look back on this game and go, wow, that was a key victory for the Chiefs to help them make the playoffs or whatever. 
or maybe for playoff seeding, something like that, right? What can be forgotten about this game is how dominant Kansas City was up front, despite a bad, bad situation going on for their offensive line. Their right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, uh, was out with an injury. They had a backup center in the game. They're, you know, they're shuffling things around on their offensive line because, you know, Kalechi Osemele, uh, their Osemele, I guess is how you say that. I apologize. I, I always butcher his name. I try and I get it wrong every single time. Uh, their left guard is out for the year, so they had a backup left guard in as well. Basically, Kansas City had three backups on the offensive line, and yet they still dominated up front. They ran the ball incredibly well. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ran for 161 yards rushing. And I guess running for yards rushing, that's a stupid way to say that. But Kansas City is not only the best screen team in the league. Um, they, they were great again on, on Monday. Patrick Mahomes was very, very efficient. He was 21 for 26 passing, had two more touchdowns. And what's crazy to me is that despite a really, really bad circumstance on the offensive line, Kansas City didn't just beat a possible playoff team, the Buffalo Bills. They dominated up front. That is the story that cannot be forgotten is, wow, Kansas City overcame a really bad circumstance and didn't just overcome it. They were incredibly dominant. And I'm curious, as we the year is going to continue on, can Kansas City win another Super Bowl with their offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy? It appears to me like Eric Bieniemy is going to be the hot big name, the guy who is taken up to be the next head coach in the NFL somewhere. And I, I'm curious if the Chiefs can kind of capitalize on their final year with Eric Bieniemy and win another Super Bowl before they lose him. And the, we don't know how much he brings to their team. I mean, there was a moment where Travis Kelsey dropped, you know, had a fumble before halftime, was really, really angry, and Eric Bieniemy helped calm him down. I, I'm pretty sure Eric Bieniemy looked like really kind of helped. Travis Kelsey relax and calm down. And there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that Eric Bieniemy does that we just don't know about. And I, I'm really curious to see if Kansas City can capitalize on their final year with him. Can they win a Super Bowl with Eric Bieniemy before he, you know, goes away? And can get, get can they get two basically before they lose Eric Bieniemy? Now, the Bills were not good. The Buffalo Bills, there's two weeks in a row now where they just look like a mess. They look very, very bad. Um, you know, it's one thing to lose. It's another thing. Buffalo got physically dominated at home. That's not good. Not good at all. And two weeks from now, on November 1st, we have the Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. And I'm really, really curious. Between that, they have Buffalo has a game against the Jets to clean things up and to figure things out, but Buffalo's got to get things figured out very, very quickly or else they're going to get embarrassed by the Patriots on November 1st. And I just am telling you, two weeks in a row, Buffalo's look really, really bad. They have to bounce back next week and, you know, learn and clean things up next week for the Jets. And then two weeks from now, the Patriots, the Bills, they've looked bad two weeks in a row. And that's that cannot, cannot happen uh, if you want to be a playoff team. We've been talking about the Bills, I have at least, as a team that could make a deep playoff run. And two weeks in a row, they got embarrassed by the Titans, and then they got dominated up front on the defensive line by the Kansas City Chiefs against a lot of backups. That's not good. And so the Bills got to clean things up and play better if they want to be a team that really, truly can make the deep playoff run everyone's talking about and that the expectations are in Buffalo. All right, guys, I'm going to take another break. 
when I return, we'll talk about the New York Giants and the Washington football team. The Giants won. It'll be fun to talk about that. And then we'll end the day by talking about the Alabama-Georgia game from Saturday. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I hope you're doing well. I want to now jump in and talk about the Washington football team. So in case you don't know, on Sunday, the New York Giants beat the Washington football team 20-19. to And first of all, this game came down to one play. Washington scored a touchdown with 36 seconds left. Kyle Allen threw a touchdown, made the game 20 to 19. And so Washington had a two point conversion. They were going for it at the end of the game, going for the win. And as a football fan with no stake in either side, I loved it. The drama was fun, it's interesting. Now, Washington fans, a lot of them were mad that I saw, were mad that their team went for two at the end of the game. Honestly, I didn't mind the call because I'm really not sure how you're more likely to win the game going to overtime in that game. It's a pretty even game. Could go either way. And when you have control of your situation, why not take advantage of that? Why why test fade and go to overtime? I don't I don't see any reason. You have control. You have one play. If you win, if you get the two-point conversion, you win the game. It's over. And I, I actually totally understand, you know, Riverboat Ron, there's that whole thing and uh, Ron Rivera, I understand the decision here because you had the power in your hand. You controlled your own destiny. And over time, things can happen. They can get the ball. They can score quickly or whatever. Touchdown wins the game. So I, I really totally understand and appreciate Ron Rivera's thinking here. We have the power. We get the two-point conversion. We win the game. I understand it. I get it. You know, you can win the game with this one play. I support that. I totally agree to the call. Um, yeah, it's risky, but you sometimes have to take a risk to win, and I thought it was the right move. It's a divisional game. I supported the call. Now, Washington, in my opinion, they're very well coached, and I they make mistakes, but it's often not coaching. I really, I think they're often their problem is a lack of talent. Now, I am all in on Ron Rivera. I buy it. It's working. I believe in him. That's cool to be able to say that. Uh, because where they lack talent, they often have been making up for it with execution. And I really just think that, man, this team, I, I'm excited to watch Ron Rivera grow with this organization because in like three years from now, Washington's going to have a lot more talent. They're going to have draft picks and they're going to have, you know, they're going to sign some free agents. And I really am very, very excited to see where this team goes down the road as they add more and more talent to the roster. Now, I also want to maintain one thing. I maintain the fact that Kyle Allen, bar none, is the best quarterback on their roster right now. Remember, Dwayne Haskins got benched. He was not even active for the game against New York. Uh, Alex Smith, like you like him, he's a cool story, but Kyle Allen is, in my opinion, I think he's duct tape. I don't think he's the long-term answer, but he's definitely the best quarterback they have on their roster right now, in spite of his mistakes. Uh, He made some high-level throws on Sunday. I really like what I saw. Now, I saw some other stuff I didn't like. Um, he had a, I really, I remember a throw to Terry McLaurin on third down in the dirt. I went, oh, that's not good. He had two interceptions. And you can kind of, if you want, it's one of those rare moments where you can kind of pick your truth with Kyle Allen, where uh, if you want to focus on the negatives, you can. If you want to focus on the positives, you can. Because you can say, well, Washington lost the game because of Kyle Allen's interception and his late fumble. 
Sure. No, if you want to say that, you can, right? You can say they lost because of the turnovers. But if you're going to say that, you also have to acknowledge that the only reason Washington was even in the game was because of all the positive plays that Kyle Allen made. And he made some really great throws. He had the throw to Logan Thomas in the corner for the touchdown. He had a great throw on third and 18. Maybe, I guess it was third and five at the end of the game where Kyle Allen threw, threw for 18 yards. I went, wow, that's a big time throw. The two touchdowns were great. I don't love Kyle Allen. I'm not like, oh, yeah, Kyle Allen, quarterback of the future. I'm not some crazy person. So I don't love the guy, but I really like him. He's doing some good stuff, enough for me to say, let's keep seeing what he's got. I think Kyle Allen is their most consistent and most solid, stable quarterback they have in Washington. Now, I was a really, really surprised that I, if you told me going into the game, Washington was only going to have one sack all game. I'd be like, no way. That's not possible because Washington has this crazy talented defensive line. They have Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. I just listed five first-round picks on their defensive line. Now, as a group combined, they only had one sack. One sack the entire game. I'm like, where's Chase Young? What's going on? And I, I was very surprised at how things played out. Um, I really would have thought that the Giants would have given up more sacks to Washington. They only gave up one all game. That's kind of crazy to me. And I got to say, I was really, really impressed with the Giants rookie left tackle, uh, Anthony, what is it, Andrew Thomas. I apologize for it. I couldn't, I don't remember. It's, it's in my notes. And um, he was the number four overall pick in the NFL draft. He played like it on Sunday. He was phenomenal. Um, I also have to say that I know this is going to, this is going to lose some people, right? Because you look at the numbers and you're like, Zach, you're on drugs. Are you crazy? Um, and I understand that. I've got a lot of patience for Daniel Jones. I think that the Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones, is playing very well considered the, you know, considering the situation around him. Uh, people are being very, very hard on Daniel Jones. And I get that the numbers look terrible. But consider that it was a crazy offseason season. He's got a new system, a new coaching staff. Saquon Barkley got hurt. There's not a lot around him. Daniel Jones is in a bad situation, and all things considered, I think he's doing fairly okay. I think there's a lot of, a lot of growth he needs to do, um, and his stats are awful. And I know we'll get crucified for saying I think Daniel Jones is playing fairly well given what's around him, but he's young. He's learning, and I mean, there's this third down that really stands out to me where. Washington's defense blitzed. Daniel Jones recognized it. He saw, hey, there's a blitz. He found his hot route to the running back through a great touch pass over the over top of the linebacker for a first down. Went, That's a great read. It's a great execution. That's a great throw. Um, found his hot route. That's it's rare for a young quarterback pill to to be able to identify a blitz. I almost I, I look at what you know they have. Uh, Jason Garrett's the new offensive coordinator in New York, and there are times where you see, yeah, this this would have been a play you called for. You, know, you call a play for Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones has a very similar skill set to Dak Prescott. But surprisingly, I go, wow, that's execution. I don't know that we would have seen from even Dak Prescott. So I, there are moments where I go, yeah, Daniel Jones making very good mental decisions. Now, too many turnovers, um, but he also had a big 49-yard run. Where I went, wow, they physically, he can move. He's doing some good stuff on third down. Now, the numbers are awful. He's got three touchdowns passing. And six interceptions. That's, I can't defend that. I know how bad that looks. 
but I'll be honest, I, I personally want to give Daniel Jones till the end of the year, I guess, before I come down with the hammer of judgment and say, your career is over, you're terrible. Uh, like, I don't, I don't see why people are so quick to just bail on Daniel Jones. Uh, I want to recognize the situation he's in, what's going on around him. And Daniel Jones, I want to give him some patience, not just because I think he might improve. Uh, it's it's not fair. Life's not fair. But I've seen enough good from Daniel Jones where I go, huh, let's pause and let's wait to see what he can do because let's give the guy till week 16, 17 before we really are so critical. We're like, let's, let's get Trevor Lawrence and like, let's see what Daniel Jones has, you know, how the year goes on with him before you completely jump ship on Daniel Jones. That's all I'm saying. I know people are going to be crazy angry about that because his numbers look really, really bad. But appearances aren't everything. And what I saw on Sunday against Washington was there were some moments of execution where I went, wow, that's all things considered fairly good. Now, I, I knew how the game was going to end. I knew that there was a going to be a moment where well, I guess all I knew was the final score. But I, start, I started watching the game live like a day later after the game had happened. I watched it on Monday night. And... I saw, that as the game was going on, it was, I believe, 13-13 at one point. And I went, man, yeah, it was. It was 13-13. And I went, man, how cool would it be if Washington scored first and then the Giants had this game-winning drive with Daniel Jones? We never got that moment. I never saw. And that was disappointing because I really was hoping, like, maybe it's 13-13. I know the Giants win 20-19. Maybe we see Daniel Jones get this really cool game-winning drive. And we didn't get that moment, right? The defense made a play. Um, and I, I was disappointed in that, uh, but I, I'm just telling you, I know I sound like a crazy person, but let's be a little bit patient. Let's give Daniel Jones a little bit more time. Uh, there's been enough good that I've seen where I went, huh, I'm going to pause. I'm going to wait and see what else Daniel Jones can do as the year goes on. Now I want to end the show by talking about Alabama and Georgia. So. On Saturday, Alabama beat Georgia 41-24. to I think it shouldn't be forgotten that Georgia actually led this game at halftime. It's very easy to forget that fact. Like, oh, yeah, Georgia was up 24-20 to at halftime. And then Bama kept scoring, and Georgia just did not score again in the second half at all. And uh, in the end, Georgia really couldn't overcome their young quarterback, Stetson Bennett's three interceptions that really hurt them, that really cost them. Uh, but I got to say, I really would enjoy watching a rematch of this game. I think if, if Georgia can play cleaner at quarterback, um, there's a game here, man. That'd be really, really fun to watch. And I don't know. I guess really what I'm saying is that I'm excited for the SEC championship game, whether it's Alabama playing Georgia or Florida. It's going to be really, really fun. And you know, we I think in is it two weeks, three weeks from now, we have... Alabama, we, sorry, we have Georgia playing Florida. I, I can't wait, man. It's going to be fun. The way the SEC is going to play out as the year goes on, it's going to be really, really exciting to watch. Now, so Georgia was in this game. I want to give Alabama's quarterback, Mac Jones, a lot of credit because this dude is a legit Heisman contender. Mac Jones is like saying, hey, pay attention to me. I'm good. I deserve to be in the conversation. And he does. The dude is legit. Um, leading up to this game, I kept hearing about how great Georgia's defense is. Everybody was saying, Georgia's got this incredible defense. They're the best defense in the in college football. Uh, Mac Jones lit them up. He had 417 yards passing, four touchdowns. And I guess it doesn't hurt that 
Alabama has the best receiving core in the country, but I still want to say, like, Mac Jones delivered and showed up big time in this game. Now, I live in the Pacific Northwest, meaning that you don't hear a lot about Alabama where I live. Uh, and when you do hear about Alabama, you hear two names. You hear Jalen Waddell and Najee Harris all the time. Those are the two names that really, really stand out to me. Like, oh, I've heard these names about Alabama all the time. And so I don't, I'm sure that in the South you hear, you know, Devontae Smith a lot. But in case anybody hasn't heard that name, Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith is a receiver from Alabama. You have to know his name. He's really, really good. Against Georgia, Devontae Smith had 11 catches, 167 yards receiving, and two touchdowns. And the dude is a star. I mean, he just had catch after catch after catch after catch. And I went, wow, this Devontae Smith guy. Did I say Devontae Adams? I meant Devontae Smith. If I said the wrong name, I apologize. Devontae Smith is a name you need to know at Alabama. He's a star receiver. He's going to be an NFL receiver. He's phenomenal, man. Oh, my gosh. I was so impressed with him against Georgia. Now, my final thought is I want to end the show by talking about Nick Saban in Alabama. There's one aspect of Nick Saban that just does not get enough credit. And I know it's kind of cliche. Like, everybody talks about Nick Saban and how great he is and he's a genius and yada, yada. But I did a topic recently about Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and how Mike Zimmer— and Mike Zimmer's deep, his offensive philosophies are really holding back Minnesota. He's a defensive-minded coach who wants to run the ball, and he kind of treats throwing the football as like this horrible, evil thing that you have to overcome. And Nick Saban is also a defensive-minded head coach. And what that means is that as the head coach of Alabama, Nick Saban hires other people to run and design the offense his football team has. I think it's worth appreciating that Nick Saban has really, really done a good job of evolving with the times. Uh, you know, they throw the ball all over the yard at Alabama. I'm watching that Georgia game going, they're throwing again and again and again, just just dotting the ball all over the field. And I get it. You got the best receivers in college football. But Alabama, you know, go watch Alabama 10 years ago and then watch them today. They really have adapted with the times. And Nick Saban facilitated that Nick Saban had the foresight to go yeah we got to hire innovative coaches who throw the football and that's part of the game now you have to develop and again as I talked about with Mike Zimmer there are defensive minded coaches in football at all levels that have a hard time adapting with the times on offense and you know they put handcuffs on their offense they don't let them do certain things they limit them Nick Saban has not done that at all he's been very very comfortable with evolution with change and that's on the side of the ball that he doesn't control the offense he's a defensive guy somebody else always runs his offenses and the way that Nick Saban has just allowed change and allowed growth and allowed evolution on offense I think that deserves credit I that kind of hit me as I'm watching George Alabama wow like Nick Saban really has allowed a lot of change to go on with his offenses and go watch Alabama 10 years ago and watch them on Saturday they're just completely different and Nick Saban allowed that to happen. He made that happen. He facilitated that. Nick Saban deserves a lot of credit for his foresight and his willingness to evolve and change with his football team's offenses. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. Um, I just, I, uh, I got four more games to watch. I got a lot of, I'm going to watch the Eagles and the Ravens. Literally, like, while this show uploads, I'll be watching Eagles-Ravens this morning. Uh, I hope we're doing well. I got up really early to, early to record this, and uh, 
I just I care about you. I'm thinking about you. I'm really excited. I'm doing NFL Week 6 predictions versus reality. My hope is, pray to God, uh, and I don't <laughs> hear nor there, I hope I can get that out before uh, Thursday Night Football. If not, I'll be recording literally during Thursday Night Football. Just, it depends on how much sleep I can get between now and then. Um, but we'll do predictions versus reality for NFL Week 6. I think it'll be really, really fun. And I uh, love you. I care about you. hope you have a great day. But um bum bam, we are done.